Nobody worries about kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? Listeners out there, welcome to the very first podcast of mine called I'm in Love with That Song. Um, or you could go by the blog that I have written called Love That Album, but either way, you've found your way to the podcast. By the time this gets on iTunes, I'll have decided on the title. Um, my name is Morris Bishtinsky, and uh, thanks for uh, taking the chance to tune in. Basically, where I want to take these podcasts is in a similar direction to uh, how I've been going with the blog, if you've uh, had the chance to read that. If not, basically, it's an opportunity for me to just... Um, uh, give a bit of a spin about albums that have meant a lot to me over my lifetime or if I particularly feel like it on a particular song that's meant a lot to me in my lifetime. Um, what gives me the right to do this? No more other than the fact that I love music and I've got a computer and someone out there has uh, decided that they're willing to listen. So that gives me the right. Um, enough of that background and let's get on with the show. Uh, for this first episode, I am highly thrilled and very excited to have with me uh, Melbourne music journalist extraordinaire and Bruce Springsteen fan, probably president of the local fan club, Jeff Jenkins. Good afternoon, Jeff. G'day, Mo. Thanks so much for having me on this very historic broadcast. Uh, podcast. Podcast, We, we yeah. have to get with the technology. Yeah, right? I'm a bit slow with technology, so you, you'll have to press all these buttons. Uh. But I've always been intrigued for years, Mo. We've been mates for a long time. You've always told me how much you love the wild, the innocent and the E Street Shuffle I think you consider it to be Bruce's best album. I disagree. So I'm really intrigued to find out today why you love that record so much and why you think it's a better record than Darkness on the Edge of Town, which is the Springsteen album that I love the most. It's it's interesting. Uh, I, I spoke with another friend of mine, uh, Jeff Smith, um, who I might read uh, very shortly an email that he sent to me during the week, but um, Jeff is also a big Springsteen nut. Uh, and it's actually how we got to meet through uh, a, a, a local fan forum. Um, but it seems that uh, Springsteen fans, and actually I probably should have mentioned at the outset that the theme of this week's episode, this first episode, um, as a start-off point was going to be uh, the Wild, the Innocent and the East Street Shuffle versus Darkness on the Edge of Town. But you've chickened out, have you, Mo? I want to go head to head with those records. Oh, look, we'll, we'll do the fisticuffs thing after the after the podcast, Jeff. Um, I think uh, yes, we will be definitely uh, talking about the merits of each album, one over the other. Uh, but as I was mentioning to you before we uh, started recording, that it's impossible in a way to take these albums in isolation, especially considering that there was Born to Run. In, uh, in the middle and re really which is an album that a lot of people a lot of hardcore Springsteen fans would consider to be uh, his pinnacle we're not counting uh, something that maybe uh, the, the millions of people who latched onto Born in the USA they, that might be the only album that they know we might speak a little bit about that later on um, I thought maybe a good point to start because uh, where, I'm, where we're recording this is uh, early July 
2011, and this is maybe about a week or so out from uh, the uh, very sad news of the death of uh, a long-time uh, E Street band member and saxophone player Clarence Clemens. Jeff, you want to maybe uh, give us a little bit of a background on how you see where Clarence fitted into uh, the Springsteen uh, the whole, I, I don't want to just say the band, the whole ethos, because he had lots of, he has and has had lots of great musicians in his band, but Clarence seems to be different yet again. Yeah, he was such an important part of the E Street Band. I just used to love the way Bruce, you'd get bootlegs before we got to see Springsteen in Australia in 1985 for the first time. You'd hear the bootlegs, and it was always just wonderful to hear how Clarence would be introduced by, by Bruce, you know, the big man, the master of the universe, the king of the world, all that stuff. My favourite was calling him the Socrates of the saxophone. Oh, I don't think I've heard that one. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. And he was such a big part of the E Street Band. Although then when time went on, and obviously uh, we got to see the E Street Band twice in Australia so far, and it always kind of, uh, you know... I, didn't feel sad for Clarence because he was still such a big part of the band but the saxophone was such a big instrument in the 70s and the 80s in the world of rock and then suddenly it became kind of uncool I don't know whether why those reasons were but and he became probably less relevant musically to the E Street Band in terms of the last few records and you, you did, on stage, you know, quite often Clarence would be, you know, with a tambourine or, you know, playing in the triangle. But mm. he was still visually and obviously a real counterpoint for Bruce. You know, you could just feel that they were great mates and that came through on stage. But musically, I always sort of felt for him a bit because the saxophone had become less relevant than it had been in the 70s and 80s. But do you think, in a way, I mean, it's, it's an interesting point that you bring up about the saxophone maybe becoming less relevant to rock. And that's true, but Bruce Springsteen is always someone who's definitely followed his own vision, and just because something isn't being popular amongst other artists would not be a reason for him to uh, pull away from the saxophone, but do you think maybe it's because as his own songwriting evolved that he felt less need for it, or do you think maybe Bruce did play into the whole world, or maybe this sounds a little bit corny in today's music. Yeah, I, I think a bit of both, and I think the evolution of, of Springsteen as an artist is fascinating, and talking today about, you know, starting off, obviously, with the Greetings album, then going into The Wild, The Innocent, and then Born to Run, and then Darkness, it was, it's a huge leap. It was a huge leap, and it's fascinating to think, with Springsteen, those first two albums, they weren't that successful, and an artist like Bruce now probably would not get to a third album. I'm pretty definitely would not get to a third album on a major label. Album. Exactly. So it's it's a fascinating evolution of an artist. And uh, I thought it was you know interesting that Bruce kind of feels that Greetings was primarily an acoustic record with a rhythm section, mm. and then he he says he wanted to add some physicality to the sound with the Wild, the Innocent, and the Estrid Shuffle. I don't know whether he's entirely successful with that. But then Born to Run, I think he really harnessed the energy and the enthusiasm that's on The Wild, The Innocent and turned it into a masterpiece with Born to Run. Mm. Then I felt he had some life changes. Obviously, those management dramas stopped him from recording for a while. And I think he had genuine anger. And that comes through on Darkness, which mm. turns Darkness, I reckon, into a classic rock record. And he really got that power. And whether you're a drummer yourself, mm. obviously those first two records uh, were Vinnie uh, Mad Dog Lopez. Mm. 
and and then obviously Mighty Max joined. I sort of feel, and not being a drummer, but that, that Max really added that muscle that the E Street Band needed. I don't know what your take on I that was, is. I was going to uh, uh, delve into that. Um, okay, so... Before I sort of make a full mention about my thoughts about it, I thought it was relevant to read this email uh, I received from uh, my good friend Jeff Smith, who I mentioned was also a big Springsteen nut. He says, After we spoke, I put Wild the Innocent and the E Street Shuffle on in the car last night and listened to it twice through. What a great bunch of songs and how well they fit together. Eclectic and ramshackle in an organised way, if that makes any sense whatsoever very different to the strictly ruled darkness, which I also love, but have never played it right through twice in a row, probably except when I got it first when I was about 16 and could only afford one record every couple of months. Probably says where my allegiance lies for these two records. The sax work on both is great, but very different, shows up in the flexibility of the big man. Interesting to see what Bruce does now with the band. Now, it's interesting, the, the words I guess I want to focus on from Jeff's letter were eclectic and ramshackle. Great and description. I, I would definitely agree. Vinny's style of drumming um, shows that he was probably a big Keith Moon fan. He may be not, uh, maybe quite, certainly not as self-destructive as uh, as uh, Keith Moon was and you know, probably not up to Keith's level of genius. Uh, so a little bit loose. A, a, a little bit more loose, but still he's... In, in, look, in some drummers' cases, they can have a tendency to overplay it, uh, and Vinny does do that, but I don't think it's ever to the detriment of the music. If you listen to the style of the music, we'll concentrate on the lyrics a bit shortly, but um, just listening to the style of the music, he, Bruce is going, like if you look at songs like uh, the, the E Street Shuffle, it's a very funky sort of feel. Um, and uh, Rosalita, not not a funky sort of song, but um, uh, it, it's it's a big. It's a, I think we spoke about this on Triple R, you know, several years ago. It, it is a it's a it's an epic song. Like if you can imagine, it's the Ben Hur, the Colossus of songs. Just like you know, the big man was the Colossus of the band. Uh, Rosalita, uh, come on out tonight, is you know the Colossus of songs, and that's really quite saying something considering that it was. Uh, on side two of an album that you know three only had three songs and each song was roughly about ten minutes they were all gargantuan epics uh, but uh, uh, whereas um, uh, Incident and uh, New York Serenade are both I guess uh, more reflective songs um, but Rosalita is really a song of boisterous very life affirming um, and Vinny's playing on that song in particular. It's 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 wild, but it fits the boisterousness. You know, Bruce's character is uh, in the song. is probably it's it's um it might even be autobiographical. It's like you know, hit your hit your uh, start of my wagon, honey, because I'm going to go places. And if your dad tells you that I'm not going anywhere, don't believe what he says because I'm going to go to the top and come and join me, Rosalita. Come on out tonight. And the whole band is just full of vibrancy and energy and. Vinny's drumming really reflects that. And by contrast, as you say, uh, Max Weinberg is far more uh, disciplined, straight ahead. and yeah, He's I, rock solid. He, he, he's completely rock solid. I mean, this, is, this isn't to say he's a lesser drummer. In fact, I've seen some YouTube video clips. There's one where he appears on... Um, it might have been at some drummer's convention or something like that. And it has... Two drum kits, so Max, the Mighty Max, and one kit, 
and his son Jason on another kit and they've got I don't know it's like a backup band or a backup recording of uh, I think Sing 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 which is an old jazz standard and the two of them are trading um, licks if you will on on uh, drumming licks on playing this uh, you know, playing the old Gene Krupa part and you know Certainly, Jason is you know is a new, vibrant, fresh, young, upcoming drummer. But you know, Max said, "Look, don't give any shit to your father. I know what I'm doing." And really, Max did come up trump. So when it when it comes down to it, when he wants to do all the fancy work and stuff like that, he can do it. But he showed on the Springsteen albums that Bruce said, no, "Keep this straightforward. Do do something interesting musically, but don't necessarily um, overplay it like Vinny did." Uh, and he's he's followed that. He's he's been he's been true, and he certainly is an inspiration, uh, a great a great performer. Um, we might actually sort of tune in for a second and just play a, a few snippets from um, uh, from Rosalita now, and uh, maybe by contrast we might play Badlands uh, straight out. So we'll be back in uh, in a second to uh, further debate these Colossus albums and more. You're listening to Love That Album with Morris and Jeff. discussed the importance of uh, the drumming sound to um, uh, the E Street Band on those two relevant albums, um, and we've gone and discussed a little bit about how uh, Clarence's playing may be sort of diminished over the years, but how different do you think these songs would have been? without his sax sound. I mean, I know it's a very subjective sort of thing. What? Okay, so I guess maybe a more relevant question is, what do you think he brought to the band that no saxophone would have, or maybe a different saxophone player would have done? What do you think Clarence brought, or the sax sound in general brought? I think the sax is such a powerful instrument. You can't... I mean, obviously there's a real subtlety to the sax too, but it is a powerful... makes a powerful statement, and I think that really comes across on all of Clarence's playing. And it's just the sheer weight of personality that he brought to that band. Mm. And and I think kind of for Bruce, you could just you could feel the love that they had for each other. Obviously that came through on stage, but it comes through on the records too. And the great personalities of all the E Street band members. Mm. You know, it's it's an incredible band. It's obviously with a very dominant leader, and he was called the boss mm. because he did. He sort of paid them. He paid them at the end of every week. So I was like, "Hey, boss." He doesn't love that nickname, obviously, but there's no doubt he is the boss. And when you see, you know, the Born to Run docos, the Darkness doco, 
he is the boss. He would have been a difficult person in the studio because he has such a creative vision. So for them to then be incorporated and become such you know dominant personalities themselves, it's a phenomenal achievement that that could come through on a record where you do have a dominant band leader, especially if it's such a large band too. Exactly, mm. and such a mix of obviously of people and personalities um, for them to actually come through. On, on a sonic level is a real achievement and credit to Bruce but also to the producers as well now Mo I, I know we're putting them kind of head to head the Wild the Innocent and the East Street Shuffle and Darkness on the Edge of Town you should never bring music down to numbers and facts <laughs> but I'm going to do that here of I'm course. a bit of a numbers person I'll allow that the Wild the Innocent yep. seven songs Darkness 10 songs that's pretty obvious oh you're the stats man I'd forgotten this about you yeah the Bruce McAvaney of the uh, music world <laughs> yes although Bruce I think is, knows a bit more than I do average track length The Wild The Innocent 6 minutes 41 seconds Darkness 4 minutes 17 there's a big difference there mm. 2,529 words in the Wild <laughs> The Innocent lyrics 2,147 on Darkness average 360 words for each song on The Wild, The Innocent, 214 words you on really darkness. Need, you really need to get more sleep at night, Jeff. Where I want to get to the crux of this, though, I, by my count, there are 27 characters actually named on The Wild, The Innocent, Near Street Shuffle. Yes. From Power 13, The Little Angel, The Puerto Rican Jane, Spanish Johnny, uh, Weak Knees Willie, Big Bones Billy. There's a lot of great names on there. By my count, 27 characters named. By the time of darkness... By my count, there are really only two characters named, obviously Candy mm. and uh, Sonny, uh, his partner in Racing in the Street. Obviously, the dad gets a mention in Factory, and there is a song called Adam Raised a Cane, mm. but that's more of a biblical reference than characters. That's yep. my take. Yes. I sort of feel that my take on it, in some ways, Bruce was finding his way as an artist on The Wild, The Innocent, he was hiding behind these characters and that in a lot of ways a lot of them are named there are too many characters ramshackle is a good word from our buddy but I, I just sort of feel it was a bit indulgent a bit all over the shop and, and we didn't really get to know those characters even though they're, they're, there's too many of them I, I think for the Darkness album that Bruce really moved to a first person honesty I was going to come to that yeah. and I think there's so much about that you know starting with Badlands I want to go out tonight I want to find out what I got um, he, he's not hiding behind those characters anymore and, and I think even the words of Bruce really sum that up and he's more articulate than I am he said I had to infuse the music with my own hopes and fears if you don't do that your characters ring hollow and you're left with rhetoric words without meaning and by the end of darkness I'd found my adult voice so I guess I am being quite critical of the wild the innocent there but I just feel it is all over the shop and that there is a more direct honesty about uh, those characters there are still characters on darkness but they're not referred to by name where I guess I take objection maybe to that notion is that would be to imply that any storyteller who is not telling something that comes from their own heart or from their own experience is essentially being dishonest. I guess a lot of songwriters, maybe like the likes of uh, Bob Dylan, Van Morrison, and let's take that greatest of stand-back observation storytellers, Mr. Brian Wilson, 
never surfed a day in his life. Oh, they're, yeah. they're, but they, they're all standing back as third, or third person. Uh, they're standing back as, uh, as observers. Certainly two of the greatest, but though to follow on with your uh, notion about liking of uh, first person storytelling, on the Wild, the Innocent, the E Street Shuffle, two of the greatest, the two greatest songs on the album. Indeed, I would venture to say his two greatest songs ever, Rosalita and Sandy, are both first person. And I tell you what, if if Bruce is not being honest, if he's being, if he's just making Sandy up, if he's making the story up of Sandy, in uh, not to mention Rosalita, I'll eat my hat. But Rose, Sandy has. It's, it's pure, simple, that last line of the song, or no, close to the last line of the song, love me tonight and I promise I'll love you forever. That's from the heart. That's not someone who's just, oh yeah, what would it be like if I was in that person's shoes? That was, he, he, someone must have broken his heart, I think. I her. cannot disagree at all with that. That's one of my all-time favourite Springsteen mm. lyrics. What an incredible line. Mm. And so, yeah, don't get me wrong, I'm not inc- accusing Bruce of, of dishonesty, but I, I am saying that I just feel he was uh, just trying to find his way as an artist. Mm. And I reckon that comes across on The Wild, The Innocent. It was still early days for him as a writer. And in a lot of ways, he needed an editor. Mm. And, I, and I mean that by saying he needed the self-editor that he, he discovered with Born to Run and then certainly the darkness record. There are too many words on The Wild, The Innocent. And I love words. You know, mm. that, that's my... You know, stock in trade that you know I, I relate to words better than music, and I, I struggle to describe music. Um, and, and there's some great lyrics on the wild, the innocent, but I just find it it's too indulgent, it's too all over the shop. Even the title has too many words, Mo. <laughs> Nine words, yeah. a while, the innocent, the and the Eastern shuffle. Six six words for darkness on the edge of ten, Jeff. That's, that's Nine still more, six. still more than the average rock album. I mean, you know. Uh, days of Innocence by by Moving Pictures only three words uh, um, East by Colchester a one word but still Bruce is still going for six words but In Excess Kick it doesn't get simpler it doesn't um, yeah so don't get me wrong it is a ridiculous uh, thing to bring music down to a numbers stats debate <laughs> that's not what I'm trying to do but I am trying to illustrate a point there's too much on The Wild The Innocent it's um, it's too much of a trip, and I think he became way more focused with Born to Run, and then on Darkness, which, as I said, is my favourite rock record of all time. It was focused, and he had found his adult voice. He'd grown up creatively as an artist, and really realised his vision. Look, I'll you know what I'll say for the for the very same reasons that you've nominated why you think um, Darkness on the Edge of Town. Is a, is a greater album than The Wild, The Innocent. I'd say for exactly the same reasons why I like The Wild, The Innocent, The East Street Shuffle. I like it because it has too many words. I mean, uh, if, you, if you were to read like some of the poetry of Nick Cave or, or indeed some of his song lyrics, you know, no one's gone and accused him of sort of going over the top with too many words. And really often that is what he does. Um, and I can, I can see why... Because in the early songs, it's maybe hard to follow where Bruce's narrative is going. Darkness on the edge of town, there's less of that doubt. But I guess I like the challenge of trying to be able to work out where's he going with this, and maybe each time I listen to it, I might come with something something a little bit different. But 
the two songs that I mentioned, which, well, possibly, and maybe I'm venturing into your territory here, that I think are the greatest, Sandy and Rosalita, do sort of venture into that more straight-ahead narrative and are less wordy, and maybe that's why you consider them as well to be two of the great Springsteen songs. Um, but I would say, certainly, uh, while The Innocent um, shows maybe that Bruce was sort of following what was um, what was interesting to him at the time musically, uh, so, you know, hence the, the bit of funk, uh, while Billy's circus story is... Um, it sounds like something that he just might have had a bit of affection for as something of a lark, a bit of music hall there and uh, using the circus as a metaphor for New Jersey life. Um, or maybe it was just a circus story. I don't know. And um, it does have that great circus feel to the record. And, and I know you love jazz music I know, more than I do. And it has that sort of jazzy indulgence mm. to it as well, which is, is a great thing. There are some glorious moments. Yeah. I am being critical. Don't get me wrong. The Wild, The Innocent is a great record. I don't think it's as great as Darkness. <laughs> um, but there is that sort of... There is an improvisational feel to uh, to the record, which certainly is comes not out there on the live. Certainly comes out in the live, in the live albums. And I guess um, bring, bring you to another point, or maybe... In extension of the same point, uh, I was um, speaking with uh, once again my friend Jeff, who I, I'd um, who I read his email earlier on, um, and I think like he, he actually travelled overseas to see Bruce. I think do the last concert at um, oh, where was it in New York that had the wrecking ball go through it. Oh, Jeff, when you listen to this, you call me up and you can tell me. Anyway, uh, but there was a big stadium, maybe it was the Yankee Stadium. Uh, that was going to have the wrecking ball, and Bruce was going to perform the last three or four nights there before before it was going to be uh, knocked down. And um, he came back and he said, "Look, you know what? If I ever have to hear Badlands, if I ever have to hear uh, a Factory again, you know, just just really, how many times can the man do the same song the same way? Uh, and yet, because because of the improvisational feel, I feel that like listening to the bootlegs that we've heard of the early material." Um, that there's always something fresh and different about it. And just another little another little story on Bruce's last tour here in 2003. Uh, you know, you and I knew pretty much what he was going to be playing. It was going to be a large slice of uh, the Rising and you know maybe material from Darkness onwards. And he was really you know with the token born to run. Um, but when he was in Sydney and he performed at the SCG, there were a lot of technical problems. There was uh, sounds yeah, it's an infamous show in the Springsteen world because the, the the power blacked out, and, and it happened I think about three times. So Bruce felt honour bound to play longer once the power came on, and he thought I better give these people something special. What did he do, Jeff? It wasn't Badlands. It was Rosalita. It which, was Rosalita, the which wild, is a classic. The innocent in the E Street Shuffle. I think, and I've got I've got a um. Uh, a, a friend, a friend in the states, had gone and put together a compilation of Bruce TV appearances. And about the time of the Rising coming out, he was going on, you know, Conan O'Brien and and David Letterman and all these shows and performing Rising songs. Um, which one of the late night shows? I can't remember which one was the one that probably uh, Max Weinberg. Play, who did he play on? Uh, he's uh, Conan. It was Conan. Okay, so he comes on, goes on the Conan show, and. Uh, he only does two songs. What does he do? Kitty's back. 
the one show you think alright I'll do something special for Max's boss Max's current boss I'll play Kitty's back and then he plays Santa Claus is coming to town no mention of the rising he, he, but what's he, what's a special thing it's, it's almost like I think Bruce probably figures well that's in my past I've gone on for but you know what once in a while Jesus fun to come back to what I felt excited about at the very beginning so I guess there's Really, if I'm going to chicken out of this, it's, it's, it, it will come down to personal. Will come down to personal taste, and it looks like that's where Bruce is gone. It, it's. I, I think what we'll do now, we'll take another break, and then when we come back, we'll wrap this up by sort of maybe talking about um, Bruce's just touching on where Bruce went after Darkness, uh, and stylistically, um, how he uh, has he gone any further? Has he changed? Um, we'll we'll talk about in, in a couple of minutes. We'll. Uh, play you a little bit more uh, Bruce for you. to uh, the last part of uh, this first podcast of uh, Love That Album slash I'm In Love With That Song. As I said, I'll work out a title for it. You'll certainly know by the time you've uh, downloaded and listened to this. And I'm here with Melbourne mu- uh, music journalist uh, Jeff Jenkins, uh, renowned Bruce Springsteen fan. And um, Jeff, I wanted to uh, ask you, following uh, the, um, uh, the release in the heyday, of uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town with Bruce's subsequent albums, things like uh, you know, The River and then the very sombre uh, uh, Nebraska and the huge multi-billion every man and his dog jumping on the bandwagon success of Born in the USA plus whatever, plus the albums that came after that. Where do you see Bruce's progression has gone? Do you think he actually has progressed? Do you think um, stylistically he's tried new things do you think he's developed better as a songwriter yeah I think it's fascinating and and certainly focusing today because I'm such a huge fan of that record the Darkness record is such an overlooked album Mm. because particularly in Australia it doesn't have a radio legacy because it didn't have big hits, even though they're classic songs. Was there a, was there a single that came off that album? Yeah, good question. I, 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 there were. There were singles, um, I'm sure. Um, and they should be all over classic rock radio, but they're kind of not. It, obviously, you know, you still hear Born to Run all the time, and you still hear The River all the time. For me, though, that album, Sandwiched in Between, is a classic rock record that should be, you know, Prove It All Night, The Promised Land. Um, the title track, those songs should be all over the rock radio still. It's kind of not. So that's why I was really pleased with the re-release and, you know, the repackage of all that. It gave an album prominence that always should have had that prominence on the radio. Then obviously The River, it is that sprawling album 
which, and again, I could go into those numbers and those stats, but I won't. <laughs> but making my point uh, with The Wild, The Innocent, I just felt, yeah, an artist still finding his way, that vision was realised and born to run. Darkness, what a great rock record. And then he, he was allowed and he, he wanted to be indulgent again and be kind of all over the shop. But again, it's fully kind of realised and focused. And, uh, and I, I think he'd, he'd grown up as that artist um, and then obviously uh, finding his way to Nebraska because there's that great line um, at the end of Wild Billy uh, all aboard Nebraska's the next stop mm, yes, of course yes. it wasn't the next stop no. but it was a stop a little bit way, you know, down the line mm. and what an incredible record that is and, and, and just in terms of a brutally honest stark record and then of course the mega stardom with Born in the USA where a lot of people got you know on board with you know Springsteen probably you know not a record that you would put up there with Darkness and Born to Run and The River and, and The Wild The Innocent it's probably not as strong but what an incredible record and you know a stadium rock record uh, still with incredibly powerful moments and great songs mm. Then, I think one of the greatest Springsteen albums of all time, he kind of, you know, sidelined, didn't sack at that point, or, you know, that he's ever sacked them, but sidelined the E Street Band and made such an incredibly personal, uh, reflective record in Tunnel of Love. Always loved that. It's a great album. One of the greatest records of all time. And again, probably unfairly overlooked as well, because, um, you know, it wasn't Born in the USA Part 2. It was mm. a very different part of the journey. And then, of course, doing the two albums at the one time, they're looked upon quite sort of badly in lots of ways. I w- and, and maybe a lot of people say it'd be much better if it was just a one record, if you had it done the one record. But I sort of go through and go, well, what songs would you leave off? And I'm sure people would leave off different songs, but I think overall they're really good songs. They're not, again... Of the lever, or you know, Rosalita, or Darkness on the Edge Down, or any of those songs, but they're still good records. And again, I think Bruce was trying to find his way and reinvent himself as an artist um, because he'd had the mega success. Then it was like, what will happen if I play with other people? If I don't play with the E Street Band, probably. Tunnel, Tunnel um, of Love, they did have it. Did have Max on a couple yes, of tracks. And yes. It did have. Uh, the professor on you know, a bunch of tracks, so he hadn't completely distanced himself. No, just yet. not at that point. But then, certainly for Human Touch and Lucky Town, he had you know decided to play with other people, which was obviously incredibly upsetting for members of the East Street Band because they were like, "Hey, what are we going to do?" So in, it was inevitable that the reunion would happen. A couple of tracks on the Greatest Hits album, and then other albums, you know, since then. Um, but I think Bruce needed to do that. He needed to go off and play with other people, and then rediscover. You know his love for the E Street Band, so it's been it's been an interesting journey for someone to go to mega stardom, to be as big as any rock star has ever been, mm. really on the planet. The Born in the USA time, and then the live you know collection as well. To then, where do you go to from there? And and I think he has made you know really good records. I think the Working on a Dream record is really good. Not everyone agrees with that. I think Magic is an overlooked record. Magic's a great album. You know, a great rock record. The band sounds great. Bruce sounds great. He's still got stuff to say. Mm. So I think this journey is continuing. It's going to be interesting to see, as you know, wow, the buddy Jeff said, where does the band go now without Clarence? Is there an East Street band without Clarence? Mm. Um, 
I think there is. I think there we is. Sh- we should also mention, um, unfortunately, this is not the first uh, member of the E Street band that uh, Bruce has lost to um, uh, to death. Uh, about uh, was it a year and a half ago or a year ago that uh, uh, Danny Federici, who I guess it could be fairly argued that Danny wasn't as integral to the overall sound as um, uh, as uh, someone like uh, uh, Clarence was, but then again, Clarence himself hadn't really made much of a musical contribution in a long time, and certainly uh, having an organ sound as well as a piano sound, and we should make mention of the great uh, the professor, the, 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 the great professor Roy Bitten. And um, what do you call? Now you see him. Now you don't, Danny Federici, um, on uh, the organ. We've sort of overlooked the other members of the band. Uh, Gary W. Talent on uh, the bass has certainly been a rock solid performer. And I think he's been with him uh, pretty much from the word dot, hasn't he? Yep. And of course, little Stephen, and then left for a while, and then came back. Yep. And Nils, an incredible part of, of of that band and many other bands. Um, so. It's an incredible band and should never sort of overlook that. And it's wonderful because I think every Springsteen fan was hoping for that reunion. Mm-hmm. And it was great that it happened. And yeah, who knows where it will go to now. I would argue it's, it's an interesting point you raised about the reunion. So like, I guess the reunion first came up as a result of the couple of new songs that appeared on what was then the Bruce Springsteen Greatest Hits album. There's, I think, been one or two more since. Um, and then the first proper reunion uh, recording was um, was the Rising came out uh, as I guess uh, Bruce's uh, ode to New York City post September 11th, um, and I would say musically it probably had more in common with Human Touch and Lucky Town, neither which are albums that I particularly care for. Um, maybe they just required different musicians to or different production I think it sort of went a little bit over the top and even The Rising I can see has some great songs on it but there's uh, maybe an over-reliance on keyboards that aren't piano or aren't Hammond organ it's it maybe too much synthesised which maybe started to creep in with Born in the USA he worked it to good effect on something like Tunnel of Love but once again it overtook on albums like um, uh, the, the the ghost of Tom Joad and maybe a bit too much on um, uh, Devils and Dust, his, his other sort of solo, no E Street band, no other band type records, maybe apart from one or two musicians on a couple of tracks. But yeah, I guess that that rising album still sounded a bit more like a bunch of session players rather than the E Street band. And whilst I'll agree that Magic doesn't sound like the E Street band of Darkness, or yeah, or, the seventies. Yeah. But but it sounds like it sounds like a band album. It doesn't sound like Bruce and Session Plays, whereas to me the Rising does. I yeah. know, where, do, where do you see that? Do you totally think? agree. Magic really overlooked records, so I think people should really seek out that mm. to hear. You know, a modern Springsteen record that is really really good. Mm. Um, all right. Well, look. Thanks very much, Jeff, for uh, taking part in this inaugural episode. Thanks, Mo. Someday we'll look back on this and we'll all seem funny. What a great lyric. <laughs> but now your papa's mad and your mama's sad and your papa says he knows I have no money. And the very first line on the Wild, the Innocent, to finish, to go back to right to the start, sparks fly on E Street. I don't reckon there are enough sparks on the Wild, the Innocent. Oh, you had to get that in as a cheap it's shot. It's all there on Darkness <laughs> on the Edge of Town. Bruce's absolute classic rock record Genuine tension, genuine drama, genuine anger, 
and I feel that The Wild, The Innocent, great record, but not as great as Darkness on the Edge of Town. You know what? I'll let you get the last critical word in on that, Jeff. Um, what about you listeners out there? If you uh, feel something either way about these albums, you might say, I think Bruce is a crock of shit, and, and why don't you go listen to some Dr. Dre? You feel free to go and write me that. I won't necessarily agree with you, but you feel the need to write. You can write to me at RRR Kitchen, all one word, no dashes or anything like that. So RRR Kitchen at yahoo.com.au. I look forward to any feedback that you might want to uh, put forward. I'll see if I can find some way to put that on um, the blog site, put a feedback uh, thing on the blog site. I think actually there might already be. Uh, My blog site, in case you've uh, happened to stumble across this on iTunes, is um, lovethatalbum.blogspot.com. Com. So Love That Album is all one word, no dashes, no underscores, just lovethatalbum.blogspot.com. Uh, I intend to record one of these podcasts at least, I'd say, once a month uh, and put in a few uh, written articles uh, in the interim as time allows. Uh, so not sure what next month's album is going to be or who my co-host will be, but I hope I can uh, rely on you to... Uh, come back for a, a rematch on another album sometime. let's do it again Mo alright thanks very much everyone for listening thanks very much Jeff cheers it's NFL draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football fantasypoints.com features industry leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand charted data to help you score more fantasy points fantasypoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play whether you play fantasy football daily fantasy sports or do a little bit of everything fantasy points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.